Thank you. Well, hey, before I get started, um, I want my friend Nikki Roark to grab the mic from Amber Brown. And Nikki's got a house group testimony she wanted to share of something that happened. I like to ask something happened in a house group, but she reached out to me and wanted to share, so we thought we would avoid the um, deafening silence and let her share her story. Hello? Okay. Um, I think this was like back in July. Um, so I have had knee problems for, I think it was like close to two years. Um, and I tried some things and the next step was like MRI and all that. And I just didn't want to do that. So I just limped and hobbled around in pain. And I, um, I was just like fearful to come up and ask for prayer. I think more because I was afraid that God wouldn't answer it. And then I would be disappointed and I didn't want to be disappointed. So one evening towards the end of our house group time, um, Dominic, who's back there in the sound booth, um, he stepped out in obedience because this is actually kind of a hard thing for him, but he just felt like the Lord was telling him that somebody had um, a leg injury from a childhood, like a childhood injury. And I had actually broken my leg when I was 15 and um, not really, I didn't really do physical therapy. So it kind of moved up to my hip and then to my knee and I turned 40, so it's like, you know, things start falling apart. And um, so Dominic, I mean, as soon as the words came out of his mouth, I knew that was the Lord, like, wanting to do something for me. And um, so I was like, that's me. So my house group came around me, laid hands on me, and prayed, and my knee is healed. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Like, I can wear sandals for, like, hours and not like pay for it later. And it was just, it was just this thing of like God knew, like my hip was a part of that, but I hadn't told anybody like my hip. And as Emily was praying for me, she was like, I feel like this is also your hip. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So it's just really awesome. So you should plug in to a house group because amazing things happen there. That's great. Thanks, Nikki. Well, well, hey, it is good to be with you this week. Want to give you an update on our student pastor search. We've been searching the last couple months, um, telling you guys just to pray for us. And, but want you know, we were able to conclude our search last Sunday, and we hired a new student pastor. So um, uh, Matt Bowman's his name, and Matt, we'll, we're going to formally announce him next week. He'll be coming on staff and him and Scott will be transitioning. And so I just want to tell you, it's a great thing. So if you think about pray for Matt, get to know Matt, he's awesome. And uh, just make sure you thank Scott too for all the great hard work he's done. And you know, him and Autumn have really loved on the kids very well. So just make sure that they feel loved and appreciated. Yeah. There's these pictures of Scott that were littering your campus. So Scott, Lovely. Scott has many sides. Like we learned about Scott. Like if you look at Scott, like, you know, he could probably hurt you or take down like a grizzly bear, but Scott also crochets <laughs> and Scott poses like, like he's just, he's, he's a mixed bag. He's an amazing guy. So just make sure you think and love on Scott because he's just great. So, um, well, hey, I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are everything. Um, thank you wherever you're meeting us with that today. 
Lord, that it would meet us full on. I pray you'd open our hearts to you, our minds, our ears, our senses, Lord. Would you just open us up to everything you have for us today? Would you move in an amazing way, Jesus? We love you. We bless you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Where is somewhere like in your life that you're all in? Like what's something that you're all in on? Like maybe to a point to other people where it's excessive or weird. Like I remember one time back in the day, uh, like I was a real estate appraiser. I went over this house over in Plantation Point and I walk in the house and I feel like I'm in um, uh, staying alive. This whole house was just BGville, like, you know. <laughs> you know, like all these moves. <laughs> and like, it was, ter- it, I, I walk, it was almost terrifying. It was terrifying how many, like, like the BGs, um, like fat heads, like all over the wall, like looking at you and stuff like that. And it was the craziest thing. Like this lady was all into the Bee Gees. There was another house that I appraised. The guy probably wouldn't want me to say this because it's probably a secret, but the guy had two more stories under his basement that were like a bunker. And I come out of there and I call my boss. I'm like, how do you appraise a three-story basement? <laughs> and he had a bunker and he had enough food like on reserves to, um, you know, if, if like Jurassic Park really happened or, you know, like the Avengers were, like, if that was real. Like he, he had stockpiled weapons and cannons and uh, cans of food. And, you know, just, he can survive the zombie apocalypse. So like, is there somewhere in your life that you're all in? Where you're like, maybe like Gollum, you're like, like, you know, where you're just like into the ring, like the precious, you love, you love that thing so much, like you can't do without it. Or like maybe Yoda, like how the force, like everything's about the force. Like maybe where, like, is there something that you're so all in on that it maybe seems a little weird to people? Well, we're gonna talk about that. Let, I think a way that we're supposed to be all in and it's talking about Jesus and this uh, brand new series we're starting is called Jesus Everything. And that last song that we just listened to about Jesus everything is kind of really like the inspiration for this series. Because I had this aha about 13 years ago and I've probably shared this before on some level. Like I remember I'd been a student pastor at a church for like a year and just was praying like, Lord, what's a strategy? What are we supposed to be doing? We had assessed the landscape. Things were happening and changing. And I'm like, Jesus, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do? And then we're having this kind of rite of passage night for gradu- uh, graduating seniors. And, we, and the worship pastor sings a song that we just sing, everything. And it just grabbed my heart. And I'm like, that's what it is. It's Jesus, everything. It's Jesus, literally everything, down to the last iota. Jesus, everything. And so I think about like, what would you give it, what would you give it all up for? Like if all the chips were down in, in your life, what's the thing that you would just unquestioningly die for? I think some of us live as if we would give it all up for our jobs or for money because we currently are. We work our lives away, saving for like a retirement or that RV or that bigger house or that next uh, promotion or for the boss to laud us 
and to give us that place that we want or for that money that comes with it, that freedom we yearn for or that desire for our kids to have it better than we have it. I think a lot of us are living for that, that we're giving it all up for that currently. So we probably would give it all up for that if it really came down to it. Or there's a lot of people, we're celebrating, we're celebrating a holiday today, Labor Day, that is of the Monday holidays that are coming in the summer season. I would say a nice holiday, but the least important over Independence Day, Memorial Day, and then in October, Veterans Day. So we got kind of three holidays throughout the year that really uh, in a significant way speak to people who really gave up everything for something else. There are some things worth giving it all for. Or maybe you'd give it all for your kids. Maybe you'd give it all for your wife or for your husband or your significant other or your family. Maybe you would give it all for the Bengals or for the UK Wildcats. Some of you are like, okay, now I speak my language. Um, Maybe some of us give it all up currently for our pride or for our hobbies or for our secrets. We'll do whatever we can to paint a world that looks like one thing to hide the other thing that's really going on. We're giving it all up to cover up one thing. And you might say, well, I'm not really willing to die for this or that, but what we live for, in every yes, by extension, there's a no in it, right? Because you can't say yes to everything or you can't, like if you say yes to something, you say no to something else. And so I'm thinking about the people, places, things we say yes to. Um, I think a lot of times it, it deserves evaluation. Do we say yes to Jesus with the same fervor that the other most significant things in our lives we say yes to? Do we say that to Jesus? Do we give it all to Jesus on that level that we do maybe for like the Bee Gees girl or the bunker guy or the people who gave it all for their nation or the people who um, invest everything in their kids or like in their retirement or for like the promotion or for their sports teams? Do we give it all to Jesus on that same level? Is he that important to us? Is Jesus everything to us? And I think I've realized in my life, I've spent way too much time loving things that don't love me back. That's kind of the definition of an idol, right? Like I've been a guy in my life, I've worked way too much. I've worked way too much. I've overworked. Four years ago, I had four jobs just trying to pay bills. And I've worked a lot in my life and I think that there was like something that I found that like, I don't know, I found my worth in that and I thought that made me worthy or that made me manly or that made me like enough. And really what I think it said is, I mean, I think, I'm not saying a good work, work ethic's not important because it is. Because an idol really, an idol is just really anything good made, made great, Tim Keller says. An idol is something good made great. Money's good. Families, good. Friendships, good. Jobs, good. Church is good. But when we put too much of a premium on these things, we can miss out on Jesus and what he has for us in these things. 
Because Jesus is kind of the one who said, like, listen, it's kind of like, I think a lot of us, when we come into the kingdom, we just think that we get this add-on. Like we get to live in this great time in the world and we get to have the, you know, all these freedoms and all these monies and all these experiences and we just kind of invite Jesus into that. And Jesus says, no, the only way that you come into my kingdom is that you die and you're born again. Like you die, like literally, like that thing inside of you, that old life, those old aspirations, those old desires, yearnings, emphasis, those things pass and then I become everything to you. And I think honestly, like a lot of people have said, I'll go to other parts of the world and they're like, oh, why don't we see miracles happening and things happening here in the States we see in other places? Because the Bible talks a lot about the perils of being rich. It doesn't say having money is wrong. It just says watch out because your hearts love it. You guys love money. You're bent to love productivity, to love things, to love shine, to love glam. You know, that's the condition of the human heart. that things that generally that we can earn or we can achieve or we can grasp or we can lay hold of tend to really, um, I don't know, really tend to arrest our faculties more than we're probably willing to admit. And, and I've learned too that like an idol is not, like we don't generally idolize terrible things. I mean, even people who do drugs, when you do drugs, like that drug's an initial good feeling, but it's just an all-consuming thing that it's just, by itself, it's a chemical, right? Or it's a plant. But it's like people who do these things, it's like by in of itself, there can be some good things about it, but just when our lives get sold to it. Same with drinking, right? There's some people who would give it all for drinking, or they are maybe. Maybe you're giving it all right now and your body's failing because you can't stop. And what we're going to talk about the next um, five weeks after today, so six weeks total, is what does it look like for Jesus to be everything? What does it look like for Jesus everything in our lives, in our day-to-day, in our existence? What does it look like when Jesus has a bigger hold on these things in our lives? As these things decrease and Jesus increases. Um, So we're going to talk today about our thinking. So if we go, if you can pull up the words for the song, pull up that slide, please. God in my living, God in my breathing, God in my waking, God in my sleeping, God in my resting, God in my working, God in my thinking, God in my speaking. Be my everything, be my everything, be my everything. That's what we're going to talk about. So, so today we're going to talk about God in my thinking and God in my breathing. Because this is really, this is, about, um, this is about worship. Today's about worship. And the word worship comes from the old English term, worth skip, kind of an old English term, which, uh, which means that what we apply worth to. It's worth-ship. Where do you apply the most worth is generally what you give your life to, what I give my life to. So, does Jesus feel like he's everything in your TV time? Do you binge Jesus like you binge Netflix or Prime? Um, in your drive time, does Jesus get as much of your brain, brain attention as the radio or sports talk? In your thought life, what you're thinking about throughout the day, does Jesus get a lot of airtime and free rent in your head? 
how we talk to people. When something doesn't go our way, does Jesus everything come out of us? What we laugh at, what we laugh at, or our rest work paradigm. Do we treat our bodies and our lives in such a way that like we trust God that we don't have to work seven days a week? How we serve others. Do you have margin in your life to serve, to give, to love? Like I know I've been doing a self inventory lately and I'm like, Lord, I don't have enough margin to serve people like I'd like to. And I realize how easy it is to become self-obsessed or kid-obsessed. I got four kids. It's very easy for a week to go by and realize I did nothing but go to games, practices, uh, you know, events, concerts, or duh, da 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 And just like, and it's not a bad thing, but my kids aren't everything. Do I have margin in my life for my house group? Do I have margin in my life to even talk to my wife? Do I have margin in my life to even talk to my kids about the kingdom? Can I spend time alone and not crack open my phone? See, these are all the things that we're talking about. And I know you're like, dude, you're kind of coming out here with the big bat. Like, dang, bruv, this got deep real quick. But it's about Jesus everything. It's about Jesus everything. And, it's, and it is funny when you think about like the Bee Gees room or the bunker guy and stuff like that. But like we all have areas of our hearts that if other people could open them up would look just as silly as it looked in like walking into the Bee Gees fat heads and, you know, uh, more than a woman, you know, sort of thing. And do I give Jesus the worth that he desires and deserves in my life? And so I think what we want to talk about is um, what it's like to be a disciple. We talk about a lot at this church about discipleship is the process of becoming like Jesus. Well, Jesus was all in to the point that he gave up his life completely for what God had for him to do for us. Jesus went all in. Do I view my life as such or is he just an add-on? Is he my fire insurance? Is he my BFF? Is he my buddy? Is he my weekend guy? Is he my Sunday appointment? Or is he everything? Because uh, Colossians chapter three, verse four, if you can bring this up, Paul says this to the church at Colossae. He says, when Christ, who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. This is a verse that has really caught my attention in my life not necessarily because of the explicit, but because of the implicit. Like Paul's talking about how all things are wrapping up for these people who are suffering, but he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. When Christ, who's your life. Like Paul talking to this church, it was just assume, friends, that like when Christ, who's your life. That if we are born again, that we took on the life of Jesus, that he's actually our life. Because he doesn't mix well. He doesn't mix well because he won't share his glory with anybody else. He won't. And it's not because he's um, mean or selfish. It's because he's holy. It's because he's holy. And God is more committed to his glory than anything else in the universe. And not because he's some sanctimonious, grandiose dictator. But because of his glory is sullied, it changes everything. 
that the, that the bounds and the balance of perfection and the scales of righteousness and, ju- and judgment and love and grace and truth, all these things have to stay in balance or it all falls apart. He's the one thing in the universe that's not corrupt. He's the one thing in the universe that's pure, that's right, that's whole, that's holy, that's untouched by all the fallenness. So he's committed to his glory more than anything else. And Jesus even told his disciples in John 17, he's like, I do this, Lord, for your glory. I do this, Father, for your glory, that you would be glorified. And I can tell you, if Jesus Christ, if that was worth him doing, the God-man, the God-man, the risen one, if it was worth it for Jesus to live solely for that glory, it's worth it for you and me. Because living for that's never gonna disappoint you. And I know sometimes it might seem like, well, that will be disappointing because what would I have to give up for it? That would be a lot to lay down everything. That'd be a lot to treat people differently. That'd be a lot to think differently. That would be a lot to not be negative all the time. That would be a lot to not talk about myself incessantly. Or that'd be a lot to not be so shy. Or that would be a lot not to be so domineering. Or that would be a lot to speak up. That would be a lot to um, let my spouse or my friends have their way. That would be a lot. It'd be a lot to let someone else pick where we go for dinner. And it is a lot. It is a lot. But do I live as an implicit term on an explicit way when Christ, who is my life, when Christ, who is my life. Let's set the stage here. We're gonna go to Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 31. This is Paul. Paul is um, leaving. Uh, Paul's leaving Berea and so are we. Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Paul uh, left uh, Berea, Macedonia, and he was greatly distressed that he saw a city that was full of idols. So Paul is going through Athens on his way to his next place in his missionary journey. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament and Paul definitely wrote 13 of them. And so maybe more. So Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. And Paul did this missionary work all over Europe and uh, like Asia Minor. And so he went into a city of Athens, Greece, which is still a very ancient city. It's still there. And he was greatly distressed. It means he was sad that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him. Um, Epicurean, just to give you a little bit of a background, Epicureans believed that tranquility was achieved through learning about and practicing a virtuous life, but was basically consumed with pleasure. They weren't like total like hedonists that just, you know, do whatever irrespective of the consequences. But the Epicureans had a more sophisticated view. Like, no, you don't, you don't want to just binge on drugs till you die, but you should do some drugs too. You don't just want to drink until you pass out or get a DUI, but man, drink all the time. It's fun. Or, Hey, you don't just want to eat and get a heart attack and die when you're 40 and you know, have to put like your belt on 
like a boomerang, like they wouldn't say that, but they would say, man, eat and eat and enjoy. Because pleasure was the ultimate goal of life for the Epicureans. So these people, Paul's going in to debate with them and Stoic philosophers, and some of them begin to ask, what is this babbler trying to say? The, the word babbler there is kind of an um, interesting word. It's an ancient slang term, which was a real put down. It's uh, the word spermologos, which basically meant it, it was a bird that picks up seed and food um, that was dropped by other things. <laughs> so like if another bird like kind of puked it out, this other bird runs and gets it. That's what they were kind of calling Paul. Who's this babbler? Who's this idiot who's picking up this stuff from other people? Who's this moron, this Jewish guy? And they thought that he was a worthless fellow. Paul probably wasn't dressed in his Sunday best. He was passing through, probably wearing traditional kind of, you know, uh, Middle Eastern garb, kind of, you know, robish looking and probably like his yarmulke and probably carrying a staff. And Paul probably, you know, looked a little grimy, but where the Greeks were all about that you know, swag and drip. That's what they were about. You know, and so, so the Greeks weren't real impressed with Paul. Um, at, so he looked to them kind of vulgar. And it's really interesting to, to me that um, one of the biggest differences of Jesus, Jesus never looks at anyone like that. It's interesting how the high of the world are compared to the king of kings. Like Jesus never looks at us as rabble, or vagabonds, or vulgar, or diseased, or distressed. And so Paul is walking through this place, and he just starts going with what's there. One of the things about Jesus everything type living that we're gonna see in Paul is that Paul wasn't trying to um, force anything, that just wherever context he was, Jesus was with him. So Paul wasn't trying to start a Jewish synagogue there. Or Paul wasn't trying to go into the Midrash. Paul was taking what was going on like around him. He's like, I'm gonna bring Jesus here. I'm not gonna blend into this place. I'm not gonna force them, but I'm gonna talk about Jesus. And he does it in a very interesting and powerful way. Other remarks, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they say this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus in the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting on, the, um, on this Temple Mount, Arapagus. Can we show the Arapagus or Arapagus? Can we show a picture of that? That's Arapagus, it's kind of a rock on a hill, beautiful. It's the hill of Ares. Ares is the Greek god of war. Anyone watch uh, Wonder Woman? Anyone watch like the Wonder Woman movie? Ares is Wonder Woman's brother, the son of Zeus, and he's the god of war. He's the fallen one, basically, like in Greek mythology, he's kind of the Satan creature, falls to the earth and just brings war to men and makes our world a violent and terrible place. So the Areopagus was this place where they sat around all day and they kind of talked and essentially worshiped. This is where the upper class of the city, the ruling class, would just go up there all day in kind of like brothels and goodies and their big, you know, seats with palm leaves sort of things and just talk about the new ideas of the day was Arapagus. And this was a place that was really a monument to Ares, the god of war. So back on the scripture, if we can bring that back. And, he, and they said, they took him to Arapagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching you're about 
this, the, what this new teaching that you're presenting is about. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting, uh, 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 in the meeting of Areopagus, and he said, people of Athens, I see that you are very, you are very religious. And for as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription. It says to an unknown God. Like these people worship everything. It was so much so, they were so like worried that they would miss one. They're like, hey, in, if, if we're missing one, here's the one that we're missing. Please don't kill us. Or please, you know, give us more parties or whatever. I mean, it was a very goofy society. And Paul says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything that is in it, the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by the hands of men. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him to find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by, um, by our designer skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, back in the day, Paul's saying like, listen, back in the day, it was okay. People worship things made by people. And that's why even we can worship people, can't we? We can worship our families. We can worship our girlfriends, our boyfriends. We can worship our friend circles, our buddies. We can worship our girlfriends, whatever it is. We can worship all kinds of creative things. And Paul's saying, but it's never gonna be enough. He's saying, you guys are worshiping in this great temple of this made up deity. He's saying, but God, he's not limited to a place that worship of just human hands. See, the thing is, is like Jesus, when he comes back, he's not gonna like, he's not looking, is it this side of Florence, y'all, or that side of Burlington? It's not like he's gonna ask, is it like, like the Jews said, we worship on this mountain, like Samaritans worship on this side of the mountain. And Jesus says, it's gonna be neither. You're gonna worship me in spirit and truth. And spirit and truth dictates that we worship Jesus with everything we have. Worship isn't a place we go. Worship isn't a thing we do. Worship isn't something that we gotta figure out. Worship is just something, it's who we are. When we love Jesus who paid the highest price, he paid it all, so to us, he's worth it all. That's what worship is. So worship isn't like this, you don't have to come to church to worship. I know a lot of people, anyone ever like fight on the way here, on the way home? Like for some reason it just goes down on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon? And like your witness goes out the door. I see some people like, yeah, yeah, brought with them. Yeah, happens all the time with them. Uh, but that, that, that happens because there's a, very, there's a very real enemy, but there's also a very real misunderstanding that we think we gotta get it together before church. And so I think there's sometimes unneeded pressure that we gotta look good, feel good, act good, and walk in the door. And It's great, man, how are you? And that's bull. 
That's bull. It's garbage. And as these guys are laying there in their flowing robes, kind of making fun of this rabbling preacher, Paul's just thinking, I'm not impressed with any of you. Neither is the Lord. Do you know all our outer stuff that we spent all this time on? I mean, who spends more time manicuring their yard or their body each week than they do in the word? Or more time getting ready for work, the thought of preparing and planning. We spend more time on that and God's like, I'm just so not impressed. We're we're giving attention to things that don't love us back very often. You might say, well, my family loves me back just fine, but but no one can ever give you what you need because in them, you don't live and move and have your being. Because do you know if the person closest to you just goes away tomorrow, you can be okay in the Lord? Do you know all your kids could go? Do you know all your friends could go? All your money could go? And do you know that you would still have enough in Jesus to have a life of purpose? It could all go away tomorrow. Your health could go away tomorrow. You could get in a tragic accident. Be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. And you could still have tremendous purpose in your life to go on. It doesn't mean your life's over because you can't exterior perform in a way that you'd like to. Because if Jesus is everything, whatever circumstances we're in, he's enough. Because in him are living and moving and we have our being. Do we see Jesus as precious as this? Is Jesus a part of my life or when Christ who is my life appears? Is Christ my life? That's the question this week. Is Christ my life? And I'm gonna answer you emphatically. He's not mine all the time. I blow it. I blow it a lot and I can be a jerk. I can be prideful. I can be condescending. I can be whiny, manipulative, a jerk. I can be mean. I can be, you know, I can be aloof. I can be distant, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop going after Jesus and I'm not going to stop letting him have those areas of my life, even that are really hard. Cause there's part, aren't there parts of your life that you just don't know if you could do without? It's like that ring. Like, I don't know if I could do without this precious. Like, I don't know Jesus. And maybe that's the very thing he wants. It's definitely the very thing he wants. What does Jesus everything look like to you? Do you obey him? We talk about obedience a lot because the difference between just being a um, churchgoer and a disciple is simply one word. It's obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, if I'm everything to you, you'll obey me. Because if you love something, you give yourself for it, right? Love by definition gives itself. Doesn't force. In him, do you feel like you live and move and have your being? This is the launching point. It's the theonoustos that it's talked about here. Like Paul's kind of given this thing. It's like this, uh, how do I put it? Paul is talking about this thing where basically theonoustos um, is, it's this inspiration in Latin, in Latin terms, 
um, is the best I can use it, is to breathe into. Like Paul talks about here, he makes this appeal to the Greeks. He's like, listen, this God made you. He put his breath in you, this theonoustos. Theo or theon is the word for God or the deity, the living one. So this theonoustos put this breath. It's like this, this God breath. Like there's an imprint that God puts on all of us. He, he loves us so much. He puts his imprint on us, puts his air in us. And then he says, I want to give you new life by my spirit. And he gives us this kind of theonoustos. And Paul says, this is what's offered to you today. This theonoustos, not this air you're filling up. You think I'm a rappler? Paul kind of turns it back with this theonoustos and says, you're the idiots taking up endless air, worshiping gods that don't even exist. And dead deities on a hill. And you're worshiping and living for yourselves. And nothing more than anything is a recipe for like the necromancer to come visit you. So Paul says, you rabblers, here's the real word, the theonustos. The thing that give life to you is the thing you should be living for and spending your whole days, not just talking about, but living for. That's Jesus everything. So do we have this theonoustos experience? Do we have this experience? And it's not something that's gonna come to us in one day. But God wants it to come to us every day. And he wants it to come to us a little more day by day. And it can Because do you know often why we take the Lord's Supper every week? That Lord's Supper communion is a way where we just kind of each week. And what it does is it purges us of all the garbage slowing us down and offers that theonoustos to come in, that living word to come into us and breathe new life back into our souls. Because the clogs in the drain are the things that don't allow Jesus to be everything are the things we repent of. And so when we say, God, I repent, sometimes the most worshipful thing we can do is to repent. Because it gives God the right place and says, you were holy and I did something profane. You're holy and I'm not talking holy. You're holy and I'm not looking at women holy. You're you're holy and I'm not looking at men holy. You're holy and I'm not looking at my kids holy. You're holy and, and I'm worshiping the sustenance from my job instead of what you give me from your hands. And I'm trying to grab for more when you keep telling me to slow down. I love in Acts chapter three, verse 19, Peter says to them, he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. The word that I looked up for, for refreshing is anapsuxis, which actually means a recovering of breath for the theonustus to come back. Repentance is the way we recover our lives with Jesus that we say, Jesus, I want this dead thing to die. I know it's killing me, and the only way that I can get any life from it is if I hand it to you. I want your theonoustus, that rhema word, that new thing to come wash over me right now. So I'm going to give you this thing and ask you to speak your refreshing life onto my life. That's what Jesus everything looks like. 
And so we're gonna get a lot more into this in the coming weeks. And I wanna encourage you, um, so Lucas wrote this down, it was a great prayer for living. So as you're thinking about this week as you living and, and breathing, like does Jesus inhabit all of your living? Does he inhabit all of your breathing? The answer is yes, but do we surrender that to him? There's a guy named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a monk who lived a long time ago. You've heard me talk about him. Frank Laubach was a guy who lived a while ago and they kind of wrote these concurrent things over the span of several hundred years and called the practice of his presence. And one of the things Brother Lawrence with the monks that he institute was this game of minutes. And he called it the game of minutes that he began by slowing down his life and offered Jesus, offered a moment of every hour to Jesus. He just set a timer. They didn't have Apple watches back then, but whatever, you know, his sundial, he cranked it and, you know, found it. Well, oh, sun's over here. I got to jump back into it. But he set something and where every hour he would stop and invite God into his next hour and say, how can I be available for the next hour? So he began to call this the game of minutes. And then he began living in such a way where he actually wanted to, um, he got that down to every half hour, to every 20 minutes, to 15 minutes, to every five minutes, where he literally started inviting Jesus into every minute of his day. So if he was washing dishes, if he was playing monk games or you know, whatever, if, whatever he was doing, if he was cooking food, if he was cleaning up, if he was praying, like he wanted literally every minute of his life to be consecrated to Jesus. And Frank Laubach took on this same kind of persona years later. And I think, and Lucas said, Lord, I want to live for you. Would you reveal yourself to me in every part of my life? I desire everything that I do to give you glory. Do we have that on the screen? We don't? Okay. Um, but Lord, I want to live for you. Say that with me. Lord, I want to live for you. Would you reveal yourself to me? in every part of my life. I desire everything that I do to give you glory. In breathing, God. God, I thank you for your breath, for your very breath that you gave. When I breathe, I'm sorry, when I breathe in, Help me take in more of you with every breath I take. I want you to be praised. I want to challenge you this week to the game of minutes. That to set something on your watch, on your phone, on your desktop, in your outlook, whatever, and just try to set once an hour. Try to set a thing. Like I have something I do every day for years at, at 10 to 10.02 every day. I pray Luke 10 to B. Like, Lord, would you send workers of the harvest to join you in the field? You know, I said that every day, but I encourage you to crank it up and a couple times a day this week, set a reminder on your phone when you're at work or whatever to just stop and say, Jesus, how do I make you everything in this next hour? How do I invite you into my working, into my living, into my breathing, into my dishes, into my kid's football game? Because sometimes I'm not sanctified when my son's playing football. <laughs> like sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I want to talk trash to other teams or I want to complain about the coaches or sometimes be like, come 
on, quit acting like a girl. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And like, just sometimes I'm not very sanctified. So I need to invite Jesus at that. So I wanna encourage you this week. We're gonna, they're gonna start playing just behind me. And we're gonna have some prayer. But where, where do you wanna invite Jesus in for everything? Where, where is he speaking to you today where you're like, I know this is an area of my life where I'm not letting him sanctify it, where I'm not giving him glory regularly. That's the call. Because friends, here's the real simple calculus. <clears throat> it's Jesus everything or it's Jesus nothing. And none of us is gonna get it perfect on this side of it, but we all wanna be those who say, who hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And well done, good and faithful servants. Like Jesus, I'm coming after you with all I got. It might not be much. And he says, bring it and watch what I do. So Lord, would your Theonustus just refresh us? Would it refresh us, Lord? That Amosuxus, Lord, the recovery of breath, would that happen to us today? Would you let a recovery of spiritual breath happen in the Florence Vineyard? Lord, would you touch people's lives this week? Would you touch our bodies? Would you touch our minds, our marriages, our ministries? Whatever we're doing, whatever our hands find to do, that you would touch us in a profound and special way. I thank you for this church and we just invite you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer, come on down.